Thank you for being here. I know it's totally a different uh, change, um, but people are, uh, like I was telling someone that, you know, vacations and different things, praise the Lord. Isn't that, you know, praise the Lord. We need to be a church that hears the voice of God, follows what God asks us to do, but we also need to be a people that understand we need to Sabbath, we need to take care of ourselves. And uh, matter of fact, that was a conversation that I was having with a person that was in the hospital about rest. And you know, um, my age, uh, you just, you work. And if you need to do something, you get the second job. You just, you do overtime, whatever it takes. And uh, sometimes when um, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we can overwhelm ourselves and uh, create problems for ourselves and our homes. So just uh, be praying regarding that. Also, the boxes, uh, Sunday evening, our offerings, unless it's a tithe, uh, goes to leadership training. And in August, I'll be sending um, some training materials uh, to the East Coast, and there will be about 100 leaders that are coming from all around the world that are going to be trained, and uh, we are going to be helping them, uh, planting about 10 churches from what we're going to do uh, in the training. And I just, uh, they asked me to come and speak, and I just thought, you know, I just need to, I just need to hang out with Valley Community uh, for a while, and uh, just enjoy us together. So uh, praise the Lord. They're going to go ahead and do that, and we're going to see many great things take place uh, from leadership training and your giving on that. We've been talking about fulfilling God's dream in you. <clears throat> and today, uh, the test is how to handle prosperity in your life. Now, when you hear the word prosperity... Uh, we, we have a tendency to think about a lot of money or a lot of things. And I'm going to show you that scripturally prosperity includes that, but it also includes many other things. But there needs to be a correct attitude towards that. And this is a test that takes place. So remember, every person has a God-given dream and every person has a God-given destiny. And we're explaining how do you enter into your destiny? How do you get from the beginning aspect of your dream into your destiny, into the fulfillment of what God called you to do? So in other words, a destiny is a fulfillment of God's call in your life, that you are actually functioning fully in that reality, that you are a person that that recognizes what God is doing. You have worked hard to develop a character and a revelation of who you are in Christ. You face trials. You faced, as we've learned, uh, some of the tests are when bad things happen, and some of the tests are when good things happen. So this is a test that when something is good in your life, something good is happening, and God blesses you with many different things, how do you handle those blessings? So we are looking at the life of Joseph, and Joseph had to go through 10 tests uh, to be able to fulfill the destiny God has planned for him. Each one of us that we're learning in Scripture need to go through and pass 10 tests also. And it's character building. It's developing your spirit is developing your growth. It's being discipled. It's learning to make the right choices. It's how do you respond to situations? How do you respond to the bad things? How do you respond to the good things? So today the test that it's how you handle prosperity. Now I'm going to say this to you is every one of you have already taken the test. So just understand, there's not one person in this house that hasn't taken the test, and I'm going to explain that to you. And you will not reach your destiny if you do not pass this test. So turn to Genesis 41, and in Genesis 41, we touched on it last week and the week before, 
But we see the interpretation of the two dreams that Pharaoh had. Remember, Joseph is called up, he shaves, he cleans up, and he goes and he interprets uh, the dream. But in this interpretation, it will show us how to pass this test regarding the blessings of the Lord and God's plan for your life. Genesis 41, verse 25. says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. Remember, he had two dreams. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. And the dreams are one. So what we're looking at in the interpretation of the dream is a total of 14 years, but there's seven years that something's going to take place. And then after the seven, the last seven years, something else will take place. And the seven thin and ugly cows, it's funny how they put ugly, and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. So let's look at it now. The dream was there were seven good cows which represented seven years. Then another seven years, there were thin cows, and those thin cows ate the seven good cows. Also, there were seven good stalks that were the first seven years, like the first good cows, and there were seven blighted stalks that ate the seven good stalks, and the seven blighted stalks were the last seven years. And so again, a total of 14 years. And Joseph explains the dream. In verse 28, this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, there will be seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be, notice this, will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So notice, end of verse 30, and the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. Verse 31. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following for it will be very severe. How many people that you have known that have received a blessing, that have received an amount of money, received whatever it may be, and it's a blessing, and you find after a few years, the blessing is gone. And now they either don't have any more money they don't, you know, they got a house, but they lost the house. All right, why is that? Because the devil is evil. Well, yeah, the devil's evil. But the question is, <clears throat> when we are stewarding life, stewarding life, we have to understand that, that God blesses, but we have to plan if there's going to be a famine. I'm not talking about walking in fear. The Bible's not talking about walking in fear. But you have to plan or steward prosperity correctly. All right? So verse 32. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. So what Joseph said, the plan of God, is to take 20% of all the prosperity of the land and put it away. All right? And let them gather all the food of those good years 
that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. This again is the prosperity test. So let me give you some facts, all right? So you know you have gone through the prosperity test. Now, as I begin to do this, I want you also to understand if there's things that, have, that you're recognizing, oh, that happened to me. I want you to realize it may not be that you made a wrong decision. There could be that the enemy came in because he knew your future. He knew some of the plans. You've been speaking it. You've been praying about it. And the enemy has heard you converse about it. And he wanted to frustrate you and get you to a place where you quit. And where do you quit? You quit doing the will of the Father. So there are times where the enemy comes in and attacks you. But what I'm going to show you in this teaching is, but there are times that we don't handle our prosperity well. Okay? That we, we don't handle it in, in the proper way. Not that we did anything evil, not that we made, you know, did something wrong, but we just didn't know to do what Scripture is saying. So what I'm doing as your pastor, I'm going to teach you how to steward the good times in your life. I can remember times where the attacks of the enemy. I can remember times where um, I was going to work. I was working 50, 60 hours a week in ministry and wondering if by the end of the two weeks I would have any money left over even to feed my family. Okay, I know some of you have probably been there. A lot of us have probably been there. But God gave me a revelation of what I needed to do no matter where I was at financially. And it, see, a lot of people think when you steward finances or things that you have, you only do it when you have an abundance. You only save when you have an abundance. Kingdom finances is not based upon abundance. Kingdom finances brings abundance in your life. But kingdom finances are based upon life. All right? So let's look at this. America, and this was a study eight years ago, America is the most prosperous nation in the world. Therefore, if you live in America, you have taken the prosperity test. You today are more prosperous than four-fifths of the world. The World Bank says eight years ago in the United States, an average household income in the United States was $78,500. That's the whole household, husband and wife working or whatever it may be, was $78,000. An individual is 38,900, the average household of, of just an individual working. The average household income in the world, minus the United States, is $9,733. Now, you're blessed because we live close to another nation. I've traveled around the world, and I've seen poverty. I've seen poverty. I've seen in poverty how people fed their family, and their family lived. They ate. They were clean, and they had a roof over their head, but they made basically nothing. They stewarded what they had well, and I've seen poverty where poverty was so bad, there was nothing. There was a famine that removed any type of financial blessing. 
in, in the world. You've seen that. Uh, you've seen it on TV. But I've been around that. I've been around people. Um, I've seen people because I came and I was the guest speaker and spoke to over 10,000 people. And then I was invited to one of the elders' homes. And, and the home was just where he made concrete all around. It wasn't painted or anything. They had two rooms, and they had a, off to the side, outside, they would do the cooking and everything. And they laid out a spread for me. And I told the leader that brought me over there, and I laid out a spread. I said, I feel so bad eating this food. I should be feeding them. And the guy told me, and it blew me away what he said. He said, he said, Pastor, the reason why this family is able to feed themselves and cover their heads is because they've learned kingdom principles of giving with whatever they had. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to enjoy this meal. Because you know why? That meal was made out of love for me. And I will, you know, I, I just, I just want to tell you, um, you know, I, I've gone to a lot of people's homes and eaten, and some of you I'm looking out, and you can really cook. And, and the, the reality is, is what a blessing it is to be a giver. Keep that in thought. So the average household income in the world minus the United States is $9,733 based upon eight years ago. In the United States, we pray for things the world is not praying for. We pray for clothes, new clothes, bigger homes, better cars. We pray for a car, and there are countries that 96% of the people don't have a car. Now, when I say that, oh, well, we shouldn't have nice cars. No, that's not true. Because I believe America is blessed because of its founding. We can lose it, okay? The church can turn around and, and not be biblical. And, you know, the attacks on the church politically, all the different things. Um, the church is really strong in the United States of America. And we have given, and we give, and we give, and we give the United States of America. That's why we're blessed. Don't you ever feel guilty about being blessed. Because in the United States, when trouble happens all around the world, who's the first ones that give the money? Who's the first ones that send people? Who sends missionaries? What we're doing, the leadership thing that we're doing because we have a heart, not only for our city here, and we do things around here, we have a heart for the world. We want to send missionaries and, and all the different things, and that plan is still there for Jeremy. But because of COVID, you know, it slowed things down. But our plan is there to support that, to, to touch lives in Japan. And, and we have that. We still take care of orphans in Cambodia. I personally send money there. And we do things to train and develop. And, and I'm always on the phone with, with the, the leader of Cambodia and, and talking to him and, and ministering to him as he ministers to me. Why is that? Because we understand kingdom and we're givers. So let me ask you this. Have you ever received unexpected monies? Like a bonus? Anybody ever got a bonus? Anybody ever got a raise? How about a stimulus check? When you did, you just took the prosperity test. Anytime you receive any additional monies, you tell God by how you respond to it how you will handle prosperity. Did you save it? Did you blow it? Did you pay down your debt? Now, I, I pray you still love me after this teaching. 
But you know about money. You know how it is even in your own homes. You discuss money and people get a little tense. All right, so don't get tense with me. I'm just trying to show you kingdom realities about finances. And I'm not saying anybody's wrong, anybody's bad, anybody, you've blown it or whatever. What I'm telling you, this is what God says. And if God says this, we can change if we haven't done this. Okay, are you with me? All right, all right, so let's go on. People pray for extra monies, and when it comes, they're not faithful with it. So the question is, why would God give us extra money if we're not going to be faithful with it? See, the prosperity test is how you handle the money God gives you. Money will test you every time. It tested Joseph. Every time you're paid, etc., a test is given. How do you handle the test? In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is tied to our hearts, and it tells God where our heart is. Our giftings, where we're gifted, our passion for like children's ministries or whatever it may be, your passion for your business, your passion for your jobs, that you wanted to do something, you studied, you, you trained to do the job that you do, all right? The prosperity test is how do you respond to those things as God continues to lead you and guide you and bless you. So this is our conversation today. Does money control you or do you control money? So I'm going to give you some truths that will help and allow you to pass the how do you handle prosperity test. Okay, here's the first thing. You need to realize this is a kingdom reality. With your money, let God be first. Again, here's another question. Has God ever blessed you? Y'all got to say, yes, he has. You live in the United States of America. You've been blessed. Did you tithe off of what, you was, what was given? Did you honor, not only tithe, did you honor God first by saying, thank you, returning what is his, 10%. Now, I want you to keep in your mind 20%, okay? Just keep in your mind 20%. And I'm going to show you what I have discerned decades ago for my own life and how do I live my life. And I believe it is based upon scriptural principles. Now, there were times when I did what I discerned was kingdom realities. There were times there was very little given into that area because I was making very little. So it's always based upon where you're at. It's never, it doesn't change because you're only making 40,000 a year, someone else is making 50,000 a year, so they should give more than you. They automatically, with a percentage, will give more. But it's all the same. The same percentage is for everybody. Whether you make a dollar, ten dollars, or twenty dollars. So even if you're not perfect, listen to me, God blesses you. He blesses you. We we have gotten in churchendom, religious circles in church, is that you have to be this perfect person in, in order to walk in the blessings of God. You got to do everything right. Let me tell you, I'm 63 years old. I've been saved 47 years. Yeah, that's what I said this morning. 47 years. And I'm still learning to do everything right. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. So you need to hear that. And then when I'm teaching this, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, you know, you got to be perfect like me. I'm not. But I want you to understand, I'm understanding principles, and I've turned my heart towards those principles. 
And at times I'm not able to do what I know my heart says to do because there's an attack of the enemy, there's different things that go on. And, but when it comes to the tithe, God always has to be first. Returning to God always has to be number one, not based upon at the end of paying all my bills, then I can give the 10%. See, we have learned or been brainwashed in the United States of America. How we pay for everything is we have a bunch of bills. And I've turned everything around in my life. For years, I couldn't do it. But I had to work towards doing it. Now, you know, like things like auto insurance, I used to pay on a monthly basis. There's no problem paying on a monthly basis. But I've learned not to be indebted to people. But I need insurance. Don't you need insurance for your auto? I mean, someone hit you, what's going to happen, all right? So you need that. It's a reality. I worked. <laughs> I had great training <laughs> for ministry because I worked for AAA and I worked three years in the collections department. So that's why I take good offering. No, just kidding. But, uh, no, it has nothing to do with the teaching. I just wanted you to laugh a little bit. But, but the reality is, is I've learned putting God first. And what he told me is his. And then I have a plan based upon Joseph's life and interpretation for myself. And I'm going to show it to you later on. So Joseph honored God first with everything that he did. When Egypt was going through the seven plentiful years, or in the middle of it, Joseph had two sons. He got married, and he had two sons. Look what he named his sons. Genesis 41, verse 50 through 52. Why I'm showing you the names of the sons is because it shows you Joseph's heart. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potpharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. God has made me forget all the past hurts in my life. I'm not walking in bitterness. Father, I thank you. I honor you for helping me to go through these tests that were bad. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. And that means, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Where my affliction took place, falsely accused, all the different things, you've caused me to be fruitful. What did he do? His sons, first children, he thanked God and gave God the honor and the glory for that. So notice the names were given for God, made him forget the bad, and God caused him to be fruitful. In Joseph's fruitful years, he is thanking and honoring God with his children. He also honors God by setting aside his portion. Watch this. Genesis 47, verse 26. And Joseph made it a law. Remember, he was... He was the one that could make any law, and the only one that was above him was Pharaoh. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. This is the plan that I use for my own life. All right? Joseph set aside the land the priest had for God and God only. All right? Joseph comes along and puts an Israelite practice that God implemented. The land that the priest had belonged to God. So verse 26, listen to what it says. So everyone will give 20% of everything they have to Pharaoh except for the priests. All right? That land belongs to God. We will never prosper unless we put God first 
in our life. So take 100% of everything that I make. 20% goes to the Lord. Tithe 10%, giving 10%. I put away money. When I first get paid, put away money to tithe, the other 10%, I put away to be a giver. And a lot of times I'll go through the church and give and stuff and give to Nolan and say, hey, I, I did this and, and putting this money towards this and that. And the reason why is because I learned of this. Now, if you have $20, okay, $4 goes to the Lord and 10% goes to giving. So I would give $2. And there were times that's what I'd be giving. You know, anytime that I receive anything, $20, someone uh, gives me a card and has a $20 bill in it, $2 goes to God, $2 goes to giving. And that's just been the plan. But now what I'm going to show you later on, um, I'm going to teach this, this part on Sunday morning when I get to, remember those five signs this morning? When I get to financing, stewarding finances, I'm going to teach this to the congregation. And now, again, 10% belongs to God. That's a commandment of the Lord. That, that's it, okay? But I'm showing you how when you have the heart of Joseph, Joseph was able, and I'm going to say it at the end today, Joseph was able to feed the world by following the principle. If he could feed the world by following the principle, then I could feed my family. Okay? So, so watch. God will never be second, and that's what returning the tithe is about, putting God first. That's the test. The question is, why did God accept Abel's offering but didn't accept Cain's offering? You ever wonder that? You ever think, how come... God didn't accept Cain's offering when they both gave. Well, because Abel's offering was the firstborn. Okay, he, he, he raised lambs. Okay, he raised animals. Where Cain was a farmer. Abel gave the first lamb born to the Lord. Not the last born. In other words... It's hard when you're raising animals, you know, you have an animal that's born, and all of a sudden you say, well, i got to return this to God because it's his. Well, how about if I just wait till maybe the third or fourth because I'll know that I'll have, I'll have enough, you know, for my family. No, no, God is testing our hearts, waiting for that, that first to be given to him. Because Abel's offering was the firstborn, and Cain's was he got the crop, and then he got the second crop, and he, he waited until he knew he had enough, and then he gave a portion of that to God. That didn't please God. That's a kingdom reality. That's a test. All right? So give the first to God, and he blesses the rest. God says, give me 10%, and I'll bless 90. Remember, Adam took part, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not Adam, Achan took part of the silver from Jericho. And then they couldn't take the second city until the two, uh, till it was corrected. That stealing was corrected and, and the, the silver was returned because Jericho, why was Jericho given to God? Because Jericho was the first. All through the Bible, you will see everything was the first that was given to God. The tithe is consecrated to God before you take it. And if you take it, then it's cursed. It's cursed. Scripture says, when you have ten lambs, don't just give me one of them. Give me the firstborn. Okay, so when I get paid, the first ten percent goes to the Lord. The first check is written to God. Okay? And, and in reality, later on, I will tell you the plan that I got from this whole story. Why is that? 
because it takes faith to give the first one. It does. You don't know your electric bill, what it's going to be. Well, I do because I get online and I look where it's at. Okay? I'm just administrative. I just do stuff like that. Probably a lot of you do the same thing. And you look. But I don't do that so in case, oh, it's hot, the electric bill is up higher, I, I'm not going to be able to, to give the tithe. No, I, I do the tithe. Now, I want to tell you there are times that um, in, in North Carolina, I was blessed big time. And um, there was a large sum of money that I was blessed with. And I've never had that kind of money for my life. I've worked hard all my life. I've had money. I've had cars. I didn't get my first house till I was 39 years old. But I worked hard and, you know, and all of a sudden I got this. And all of a sudden I said, oh, I got a tithe. I started writing out the tithe. And watch this. I had to rip up the first one because I didn't know how to write that amount. You ever done that? Yeah, I didn't know how to write that amount. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny. I was helping someone um, when their spouse passed away. I was helping them with their finances and helping them adjust things and get things in line and paperwork and legal work and all that uh, in the church. And, and they had to write out a, a large check, not a, not a tithe, but it was a check to take care of something. They didn't know how to write it out. So I wrote it out for them, and they just signed it. Because we're not used to it sometimes when we're really blessed. And because of that, that's a huge test. Your greater test comes when you are prospering than when you're not. So, so that was, that was the, the big thing. So it takes faith to give the first 10%, not the last 10%. It's easy when you say, oh, I got enough, I'll pay it. So if you pay your bills and then see if you have 10%, that's not tithe. That's not tithe. That's not returning tithe. God must be first in everything of your life. So I have learned in life, I know I'm talking finances, and probably a lot of you, I don't look, I don't check, you know, with Pastor Nolan or someone else that inputs the, the tithe records for you at the end of the year and stuff. I don't look at it. Do, do I look at it? I do not. And once in a while when I am hiring somebody or I'm putting someone in a big leadership position, I want them to be a tither because I don't want them to live with curse in the things that they do. I want them to be blessed. So I'll say, I, didn't, I don't ask how much. I say, are they tithers? And he'll tell me yes or no. That's only if there's a leadership thing. And I tell those people that too. I ask them, do you tithe? Okay, let's go on. So God must be first in everything of your life. First can't be the mortgage company or the cable company, but it must be God. Now there's a Barna study. I don't know if you ever heard of this person. A Barna study is a believer and he goes around and does statistics, values, valuations, all kinds of things. And he does a lot for the church or the whole church. And so there's a Barna study in research. The portion of households that tithe on their income to the church. Listen to this. 7% of Christians tithe. 7%. 84%, praise the Lord, donate some money to the church. 84%. And we're the most prosperous nation. You know why we prosper? Our founding fathers had a mission. I know the world is trying to talk them down and they're evil and they weren't perfect people. And they were living in a society of that day. Some of the things that they did, that was the norm of the day. But when they founded, they heard the Holy Spirit, they, say, they said that everyone has rights. Every person. So they were working on dismantling slavery, even though some of them had slaves. They were working on many different things to input what Joseph did with Egypt. They were doing things that inputted 
kingdom realities in the United States of America when we started. Did we have problems? Yeah, we did. Are there evil people in the world in the United States? Yes, there are. But we have to understand America has been living in years of prosperity. But if we don't turn this around by honoring God and giving to him first, years of famine could be around the corner. And I'm not a doomsday preacher. I believe we're in the beginning stage of something the Holy Spirit is doing. And it's going to be mighty and the blessings of the Lord and the challenges of some of you that you've gone through attacks of the enemy and things have happened and you've been givers and faithful to the tithe. God's going to turn that around for you. So understand that. He'll turn it around for you. But I'll tell you what, I am believing big time that we will become leaders in our nation, in our cities, like we have leaders in our church. And we will implant kingdom realities in the law of the land in a greater way. And we're seeing it being peeled away from what our founding fathers did. See, if we turn our back on God, we will be in trouble. Now, people ask this. We are tithing, but our finances are in a mess. How come it's not working? How come finances are not working? Well, I'm going to be very straight and honest with, with you, okay? I'm not talking at you. I'm giving you the principles of the Word of God. We live above our means. We still use credit cards and not pay it off. I understand there are times that things happen. That's why the credit is there. But I'm telling you what, when... I know sometimes you're... you're giving and you're doing things and you're, you're doing everything right and all that and all of a sudden the washer breaks and there's more money that it costs for a washer than what you have and I understand that but see the reality is you got to work hard to get out of debt we have 1.7 trillion dollars in debt of student loans we have allowed the principle of student loans to literally destroy a generation in debt. And we have to get to the place in our own homes of making sure it's, it's not free money. It's not free money. You borrow, you got to pay it back. And I understand, let me, let me just tell you, I understand that, you know, um, but... Sometimes kids are borrowing thirty and forty thousand dollars to learn how to play with Play-Doh. That's their. That's what they graduate with. I'm. I'm just kidding. But it's something that doesn't really have value what they're studying in school. So we have to really look at this and begin to tithing opens the door to prosperity. Stewardship manages prosperity. Stewardship manages prosperity. Just, just this week, my wife and I, we have, during COVID, given way above and beyond the normal plan. Because we've known people, especially our peers in ministry, you've been faithful to the church. Valley Community Church, I love you. I just think you're awesome. You're faithful to the Lord in your tithe and your giving, many of you. And, and because of that, that I haven't had to, to diminish people's payroll. All of our staff, I haven't had to do it. They've worked hard. But a lot of you have lost your jobs. You've done all the different things. I know people lost their jobs in the church, and they're still tithing. They're not tithing like they were but they're tithing $50, you know, because they went and did a side job and made $500. But they're still faithful to the Lord, and you have. So Terry and I have helped a lot of people. So we went out looking for something, and everything we were looking at just, yeah, just didn't like it. You know, just didn't like it. So we went somewhere else, and we looked, and we saw something. Whoa, we like that. And, of course, sorry, Maybe I'm just being a man or just my gifting is I'm looking at this beautiful thing 
and I'm looking in the corner of my eye what it cost. And so we were talking about it, went through, got the final price, and, and Terry knew, you know, let's just go home, let's pray about it, let's spend some time just hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And um, budget said no. Budget said wait. And so we're waiting. So what I'm telling you, you know, some people think, you know, pastor is walking around and he's got all, you know, have you ever had, have you ever had the Lord come to you and say, everything you've got, I want you to give to so-and-so? I had a car. I had a bank account. A year's worth of salary. And it's before I met Terry. And I've learned this principle, heard God. And God said, I want you to give. I want you to take care of that guy's school. And I want you to give this person your car. And I want you to trust me that I'm going to take care of you. So I walked a mile and a half to go to work and walked home a mile and a half in Echo Park. Sometimes I ran home in Echo Park. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is God told me to do that. And um, so literally, I withdrew everything except what I had to keep in there so I can keep my account. And then I gave the car away. And I'm not saying that to pat me on the back. I'm just telling you, but I trusted the Lord. And in trusting the Lord, God turned that right around. Everybody in, in Bible college were complaining they couldn't find a job. I gave away jobs. I had a job that I was, back in 1978, 79, I was, I was making $11, $12, $13, $14 at the end an hour. Some people don't even make that now. But I was working a job, you know, uh, going to L.A. and pulling carpet and cleaning out the roaches and replacing toilets and all the different things just, you know, to take care of stuff. And someone came to me and says, hey, how'd you like to work for? It was Veltman Terminal in L.A. And it's a warehouse for J.C. Penney's. And, and I told the story, of, you know, some of the story of the diapers and stuff like that. But the reality is, is God will bless you when you walk in obedience and make him first. All right, let's go on. So from that, God is first. Second, how do you steward? Learn to wait. For seven years, they had to store up and wait in this story. People wanted to use and sell the grain to build better homes, chariots, etc. But Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man, 28.20 of Proverbs, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Get-rich-quick scheme, all the different things. In other words, the get-rich-quick schemes of today are bad for you. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. The Bible warns us over and over. There are no such thing as a Christian business either. The business cannot get saved. Follow my thinking here? There are Christians who are in business. And it's you Christians that produce God's prosperity and kingdom realities. It's you in business. You are the Christian that runs a business, but it has the character of a Christian because of you. You steward your blessing, your finances, your business finances well in that area. Now, God wants you to have houses and lands. Doesn't he promise that? Yeah, he does. He promises that. But he says, but when you are blessed, you are tested. See, a business can't go to heaven or hell. Only a person can. Are you okay with me talking like this? Okay, thank you. And, you know, I just, 
that's why I love about Sunday night is because I can just let my hair down a little bit and, and really just dive into this. Our kids today, they're just brainwashed of everything needs to be free, everything needs to be given. And, but let me just tell you, we have the smartest kids in the world. They're, they got greater. They should have a double portion of blessing over their lives because of us. But they are fighting things that I really didn't fight in school. I remember in grade school, I'd go to school, and over the loudspeaker, they would pray. I remember over the loudspeaker for a cafeteria, they would pray. All the different things. And, and, and so I didn't have it that bad. But, you know, our kids today, it's, it's like they're, they're not brainwashed, but they have to choose to please God in a greater way than I ever had to. Because what I was being taught pleased God. And we have the greatest teachers in the world. We have so many teachers in our church. And they're awesome. And they minister to their children. They do great things and they give over and above. But we have to understand what God is doing for us. We, we need to understand the test. So the Bible tells us, learn to wait, be faithful, and be a good steward. How patient are you buying things? Man, I wanted to get what, I, what we were looking at from my wife. I felt, honey, you know, I didn't say Mr. Budget, but bottom line, that's what it was. Mr. Budget said no. And so in stewarding, you're going to learn on Sunday mornings, in stewarding, when you get a budget, that's your agreement factor. You, you know, a lot of couples, two things you know, married couples fight over sex and money. And money's number one. And, and in the money area, you know, you, you set the standards, the goals, the kingdom principles. And when you do that, and, and Terry just said, honey, okay, I trust you. No problem. No problem. We'll wait. There you go. We'll wait. So put a little away, little away, little away, little away. And then one day we'll be able to pay cash for it. All right. Again, how patient are you buying things? It's not feeling, it's about numbers. <laughs> you say, oh, Pastor, you're just administrative. Kingdom principles are administrative. So let me give you quickly seven reasons to have a budget. Seven reasons to have a budget. And I'm going to go very quick with this, okay? It helps us to see more clearly and objectively. It helps us to see more clearly and objectively. Income versus expenses, what you make and what your expenses are. It makes us examine, number two, and clarify our values and priorities. <coughs> if you have a budget... You're, you're clarifying your values and priorities in your budget. If you look at someone's checkbook, now I know we do it online, all the above, but if you look at someone's checkbook, you'll know where their heart is. So it makes us examine and clarify our values and priorities. It's called needs versus wants. Needs versus wants. The third a budget provides a basis for discussion and agreement. A budget, it provides a discussion of agreement. So you have plans, you have visions, you have directions. But if it doesn't match your vision and direction, you don't do it. But if it's part of the vision and direction, then you save for it, you budget for it. So there's no arguing. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you remember arguments that you've had with your spouses because of money? And it's because it was need versus want and not the plan. Here's number four. A budget provides a basis for accountability. I'm accountable to the vision God's given us. 
My wife and I, every year, we have vision retreats. Sometimes it's a day at home with our phone off. Sometimes we've been able to go to a hotel for two or three days. And we spend two or three hours each day writing down and talking about the vision that God has given us. Now you say, oh, pastor, that's just so much. No, it's not. You know how much fun it is to be able to hear vision from God through my wife? Do you know how much fun it is to hear her passion of what she's called to do? And then be able to talk to her, well, how can we get this done? Now, I know some of you might have a spouse that doesn't serve the Lord. Some of you know people like that. And, and so it can be difficult. What you can do is then begin to work in, in that reality the best you can to bring that agreement. And sometimes agreement won't take place. Fifth, a budget helps us to live within our means. A budget helps us to live within our means. Your stress will reduce when you do that. A budget helps us to live within our means. Six, a budget helps us live without debt. Now, did I have a house payment? Absolutely I did. Okay? But the house is worth twice as much now that I bought and built. Okay? So it, it's, it's something that I have as monies that I could sell uh, today, and it doubled what I paid for it. Okay? So there is such a thing as good debt. Now, if you get to a place where I'm at now, I'm not going to get another mortgage. I'm going to pay cash for a house. Now, I'm not rich. So God's going to have to do some work. <laughs> but I've been faithful. I've been faithful to everything. So it helps us live without debt. Debt removes patience. And let me tell you, the Bible says, let patience have her perfect work that you may want and lack nothing. Did you know you as a believer, kingdom reality, you're wired for patience? Well, I don't have any patience. Yeah, you do. You just don't live it. Your soul is, is ruling you. I'm a type A personality. I want it yesterday. How many of you are like that? Okay. I've had to be ruled by the Spirit. Because there are times I just, I just want, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, ah, hold up, no. You're not going to destroy people doing what I've asked you to do. Well, I, I get it done. I just get it done. You know, get her done. And, and the thing is, no, I've called you to disciple. I've called you to train and develop people. So there are times my tongue is bleeding. No, it's not bleeding. But there are times I'm waiting, and I don't want to wait. But I wait because it's what God said. All right? Last but not least, a budget builds character and discipline in our lives. A budget builds character and discipline in our lives. All right. Let's go on. You must handle prosperity. You must handle money well. Putting God first and learn to wait. That is handling money well. So Joseph developed such a good budget that after seven years of serving or saving, he fed the world in seven years of famine. Nothing was growing, and all the land, all the animals basically died that were outside the palace. But he put away animals. He put all kinds of stuff, and he he. He fed people. He gave them grain for their animals. He gave all the different things that he did. He had a good budget. All right, here's the third thing I want you to learn from this story. Live below your means. I'm going to tell you what this means, and you think it's something else. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this. This is the Bible, not a culture issue. I want to tell you this. 
What we're talking about in money is the Bible. It's not a culture issue. I hear all the time, well, that's just the time of the day. It's just how things work. No. It may work in the world, but it doesn't work for me. I do it kingdom way. All right, 1 Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with, with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't evil. Money's good. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money or the greed does many things to us. God says, I want you to be content, not stressed out in your finances. He wants to prosper you to fulfill your destiny. That is the purpose of living within your means. Does it line up with your destiny and your dream? Does it line up? Some people will say to me, Pastor, I don't have a dream, but I've taught you in this how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, selfishness then rules and they blame God because they are violating scripture and the Bible, as we studied it before, is called a bad steward. Riches can deceive you. All right, we're almost done here. I got about three more minutes. Mark chapter four, verse 19, Jesus said, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. What happens is we plant the word, but then become deceived by the love of money. Don't try giving. Don't try church. Don't try work. Be faithful to all three. Just be faithful. Here's my plan. I live on 60% of my income. Okay, sometimes because of stuff or whatever goes on and all the traveling that I do, you know, to help my mother-in-law and all the different things, funerals that we've had in the last three years, has taken a lot of money out of my budget. But I've had the money there four times like this. And so in the last six months, we've lived on 70% um, of income. Tithe, giving, and savings. $5 for a cup of coffee? Jeez. Can you imagine people who drink two or three cups a day? $15 a day? Like I, I said this before <clears throat> at the church, is I know a couple that every year they go to Hawaii because they quit smoking. And they put all the money they used to pay for their cigarettes away every year and they have enough to fly. Well, right now they might not be able to because, you know, the gas prices have gone way up and flights are expensive. But the reality is, is you learn how to do this. In your budget, pay yourself every paycheck. I pay myself every paycheck and put it in savings. It's my pay to me, and it's for the years of famine. What is going to be my years of famine when I retire? Which then will be able to help me live the lifestyle I live today 30 years from now. Amen. I love it when I hear people like Teachers Union or UPS and that, and they have, you know, a monthly check coming in. A fireman, a policeman, they have their pension, all that stuff. All right, and, and half of it is paid by their employer. I had to put it all away myself because I don't have that. And so the reality is, 
is I want you to recognize if it works for God, here it is, 10% return the tithe, 10% offering. If 20% works for God, then 20% works for me. Okay? Now, 10%, 2% in your giving. 10% tithe, 2% in giving. You don't start 10%. You don't start 5%. You start with 2%. Or if you're a place you can, start it. 10, 10, 10, 20%. Tithing and, and, and giving. Now, part of your giving, here's what I learned when I was uh, younger, didn't have as much money, is my giving was I did extra things for people. I went ahead and I, I mowed my, my lawn um, that, you know, the parsonage, and then I had a neighbor. Uh, she was 75 years old at the time. I would just, when I mowed my lawn, I mowed hers. That was my giving. She goes, well, I'll pay you. No, I don't want it. I just, I want to bless you. And I didn't do it really to get her to come to church, but she came to church. But giving, that's what giving does. It's a purpose of my giving is to be a blessing to people that they see kingdom. And then I decided years, years, years ago, decades ago, that if 20% works for God, then 20% works for me. And I started 10%, 2%. So what did I do? 10%, 2% for me. I would put away savings. And at that time, it was um, a whopping $31 a month I put away. That's all I had. That's what I was being, that's what my salary was. I was going to school, all kinds of things. But I did that. I was faithful. And then as, as I got older and all the different things, I stayed out of debt, and I was able to do more. That's how it works. That's the prosperity test. Amen. Let's stand.